Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Talk Junkies, where tonight's going to be a very interesting night, as it is each and every single week here at Talk Junkies. Um, been a couple weeks since we've done a podcast, uh, just doing doing life stuff, I guess you could, could call it that. But um, we're still rocking and rolling, man. Uh, the last podcast that we came out with, Mike Donio was on the show. He was a, a former lead scientist at a biotech company. Uh, he used to be a vi- virologist as well, so he had some knowledge when it came to vaccines and, and the mRNA technology. So if you're interested in stuff like that, I highly suggest checking out that podcast that we did two weeks ago with Mike. Uh, Mike, if you're listening, I appreciate you joining Talk Junkies, man. It was a great podcast, and I look forward to look forward to doing more work with you, uh, you know, in the future. Uh, we got Blake in the house. What's up, man? What's up, brother? Uh, Blake is my homie. He's a good dude. Uh, he doesn't really have a, a a Twitter or a you know a podcast to shout out, so I, I don't think I'm you just, I'm just here. I'm just long for the ride, man. There we go. Um, but tonight's going to be a very interesting night. We have an OG guest joining Talk Junkies this evening. Um, this gentleman's been on multiple times. He is a, uh, an author of multiple books, uh, especially in, in today's polarizing world where it's left versus right. Um, and we're talking extreme right versus left. It's, it only seems to be getting worse, so there's no better time to bring this gentleman on. Um, Mike Anderson, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining Talk Junkies. Great. Great. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's been a while since we've had you on. Uh, it's been about... <laughs> Well, it's, like I said, man, it's been a little over a year. So, uh, how you been? What's been going on, man? Uh, just writing and living. So, no better time to be writing and living, especially for the things you write about. So, we talked a little bit before the podcast. Uh, your fourth book is an edit right now, so it should be launching yep. sometime this year. Yep. What's the uh, main focus behind this book? Well, the, I'll give you the title first, and I'll t- I'll talk briefly about it. The title is um, Twilight of the american experiment without moral balance our republic will fall so that the basic point of that is you know we've talked about this before they're left and right genetically generated uh political philosophies moral philosophies i call them and they're not 100 percent generated by genetics but there's a genetic component and so a person is born with the tendency to be conservative or liberal and then they grow up and they get exposed to their parents and their siblings and their schoolmates and others and stuff like that. And that may either reinforce their uh, hereditary tendency or not, or they may change because not all uh, born conservatives end up being conservatives and not all born liberals end up being liberals. Some people change over. So, but the, the point is that there are these tendencies to be conservative or liberal and of course it's a spectrum so there there's a whole continuum there are people in the middle who are the uh, independent voter they're not ideological so it's the extremes are ideology ideological extreme conservatism extreme liberalism which is we call progressives who want to change everything basically so the tendency of the two groups is that uh, progressives want to change everything. They want to change their affinity is to changing things and what's new inequality. So they're trying to drive the country toward inequality. That's why all these things come up about um, multiculturalism and um, all of the things that are criticized about uh, that are unfair and the economic standpoint too. So the left would like to have like to create it basically a socialist environment where everybody has the same opportunity and everybody has the same outcome and everybody makes the same amount of money because in their view that's fair from a conservative standpoint uh conservatives like the status quo they don't like change like uh progressives do not that they won't tolerate change it's just that they their tendency is to prefer the status quo over change so those are the two differences uh change versus not change and you can see it i mean you read the newspaper and you watch the news you see it every day because the progressives want to change the way the government works and conservatives fight against that but the point is and this is what's important about the fourth book why did these why did this develop why is this hereditary tendency there and basically 
it, it was caused by the fact that when early humans, not Homo sapiens, but the kind of humans that existed before we did, before our species did, um, they left the jungle in Africa and went into what they call a savanna, which is a grasslands, and they began to encounter uh, different environments. Rather than the environment being the same, it was different. And of course, you probably know that there was migrations out of Africa to Europe and to Asia by early human species. So as man moved around, his environment, he realized and saw, his environments were different. Uh, the, uh, the climate was different and the food availability was different. So he had to adapt a way to to survive in those different environments because it wasn't the same. And there's a concept in genetics, and I won't bore you with all the technical stuff, but it's called polymorphism. And it's very simple to understand. It's a gene that expresses itself in more than one way. So like eye color, you know, some people have blue eyes, some people have green eyes. That's polymorphism. So it's the same gene that makes eye color, but it has variations, okay? So because in, uh, evolution is such a slow process, man moving into these environments could not adapt fast enough and survive. So what happened was polymorphism took place and developed adaptive behaviors in human beings that allowed them to tolerate different environments. So uh, there developed the progressive behavior or moral philosophy that was interested in change and exploration, for example. Then on the other side, there were the conservatives who were interested in the status quo. So there was, again, this is in very, you know millions of years ago, a couple of million years ago, this was the difference between the two, and this is why it developed. And so Mike, again, I... the reason the reason is if you had if you didn't have the ability for the whole group to adapt, it wouldn't survive. So progressives are more adapted to looking for new food in a food scarce environment, and conservatives are better at uh, operating in a food rich environment where you just exploit the food that you have and you stay in the same place. So because you have those two groups and you have a human tribes then were 100 to 150 people um, and there was no hierarchy, it was just a tribe with a leader, um, you could develop a consensus. You know, half the people want to go for food and the other half don't and or two thirds want to do one thing, one third want, want to do the other. That's how you decide. So you're suggest so, so you're suggesting that when basically you know there's the the timeline of how human beings evolved from you know whatever whatever it was the first species of human caveman cavewoman whatever you want to call it as they were evolving you're suggesting that that that, that genetic trait wasn't there initially until no. they got more civilized and had to start adapting to their environment because it was adapting so fastly polymorphism took over. Yeah, well, polymorphism is a way for natural selection to work more quickly. Because you couldn't, for example, if you try, if you said, well, we're in a different environment now, let's adapt evolutionary, evolutionarily, let's adapt our brain to this environment. Well, that would take a million years. You couldn't adapt. So my, my, I guess my, my question is, it almost seems like, I mean, that just almost gives more, more proof to a creator of this environment. For, because they knew at some point they were going to stretch limits. And when they did stretch those limits, there was something in place that kicked in that allowed them to adapt to that environment. No, it had to be, it had to develop, Paul, because they had to be in that environment before pressure was applied to change. So they had to be in an environment where, let's say it was, there was no food there. And uh, they were starving. But some of the individuals these pre-humans um thought about well we're starving here so we got to go somewhere else and find food so then the people who didn't want to find food starved and the some of the people that did survived 
So that then that started down the road of looking for developing a, a, a behavior to go look for food. So you're saying that's how the liberal, essentially that's how the liberal party was started. Well, there weren't in, in essence, party, in, I, I know, political no, I know, huh? but in essence, yeah. the origins, like the very beginning, this is how it was created basically was party systems. I know, I know I'm not, I know that's kind of weird to say it like that, but that's essentially kind of what we're talking about. I think he's going less no, so. Yeah, the, yeah, but forget the parties. Just say, say this. Yeah. Like the mentality. In, of in, it. Yeah. In the life of primitive man, there developed adaptations that were different, different people. And so they had a different point of view. Which then, when you take those points of view and bring them into modern times, became political points of view. So it's not that, I mean, there was no politics then. For sure. Because the tribes were egalitarian. There was no hierarchy. So nobody was the boss of anybody else. So they could make a decision among themselves and say, okay, we are starving, so let's go get food. But then there were people in the group who were good at that who were interested in hunting and were capable. And so they went and found food then. So that's what I'm saying. The origins of the concepts of whatever it is to be Republican or whatever it is to be Democrat were created in these times that you're suggesting. And they yes. were passed on through genetic code. And this is currently why we have the situation that we have now. You're basically explaining why we have this, this polarity, this far right yeah. versus far left. Yeah. The polarity existed a million years ago. Right, but it what it didn't have anything to do with politics. It had to at that time it had to do with change versus status quo, because that's the difference. So you fast forward all the way to now, and you look at progressives, and they want change, and conservatives want status quo. Same thing. That's wild, man. That's wild. That's definitely a wild way to look at it. I mean, it, it makes sense. I'm not necessarily an evolutionist. Um, but if that were to be the case, it, it makes sense that over a long process of time with humans evolving, that you you develop this genetic code that that shaped us the way we are right now. It makes sense on a moral basis. Yeah. So when you but when then, but then if you I mean if you permit me to fill in a little of the time span there, so the next the first well the most critical event in the history of man, arguably, is agriculture. Because before agriculture, man was was a nomad and wandered around looking for food, never stayed in the same place. Because if you were in a place that didn't have any food, you had to go somewhere else, right? Yeah. Well, once they started agriculture, then you could grow food, fields of crops in a small space, and that would support larger human groups. You could have a thousand people live together because they would all have food and, and you were growing it. So you didn't have to go anywhere. All right. Got that. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so the, then what came out of agriculture was government because you have a lot of people together, large group, uh, not all friends and relatives, but many strangers, obviously. And in order to get that group, under control, you have to have a government. You have to have laws. You have to have rules. Otherwise, you have anarchy. So the first governments were had laws, and they had they controlled the food supply. Because if they didn't, there wouldn't be enough for all the people. So like in ancient Mesopotamia, for example, they had a government that was run by priests, and the priests the uh, temple had a grain storage facility in it. So all the grain that was grown was put there for storage so they could be doled out to the people or preserved for the next year or for the winter or whatever. So people could eat. So, but it, so you've got government and you've got economic control. That's what became cities and countries and all that. Okay. But those in the early days, conservatives had control of government themselves because conservatives, and I don't know if you remember any of this from before, conservatives believe in loyalty and authority and sanctity, which is purity. And so 
that's what how the governments were formed. If you're a king, okay, a monarch, um, you're going to base your kingdom on loyalty of your subjects and their respect for authority for you as the leader. So the initial governments in the world were run by conservatives. Now, if you think about a liberal, why wouldn't a liberal run a government? Because liberals believe in equality and fairness, and there were there were no rights then. The people had no rights. You know, they didn't have welfare. They didn't have health care. They had nothing. It was survival of the fittest, if you're a common man. You know, I'm talking about thousands of years ago. Yeah. So um, conservatives pretty much ran the world until the enlightenment which then started up progressivism as a political force and so the two have been duking it out until recently and now in my opinion the progressives have control because they control the media they control the universities they control the traditional media and we can go into a thousand examples of that and they control social media so you talked about so, a time period of, of, I think you've said it really well once. I can't remember how you put it, but basically it's there's been an amount of time, I guess an era where it's been ran basically as a world or I guess Western civilization, whichever you explained it better, where it's been ran by conservatives, conservative conservatism. Um, and right. now you're saying it's shifting. Is it, You say it a better way though. Well, the Enlightenment, basically, to, to remind you about this, if you don't remember, the Enlightenment was a period, it, it was 1680, 80, uh, 1650, 1800, basically, 150 years. And when European and American societies said, uh, we're not, no longer going to do what the Pope and the King tell us. We're p individual people and we want rights. So... The Enlightenment caused the beginning of individualism, individual rights, capitalism, because capitalism didn't really exist before that, um, science, because science got going then. So it was a huge change in human history because it opened things up and gave individuals rights for the first time in history. But that also got progressive thinking going forward, because then at that point, once societies agreed that that's the way they should operate, they should be laws and voting, people should be able to vote and determine what the government does and all that, then that opens things up for, for progressives to start working on the things that they value, like equality. So, you know, it's progressives and conservatives fighting themselves, uh, fighting it out together from 1800 to you know, 1980 or something, and then the progressives take control of the sources of communication. So, so I'm curious. And, and they don't have all the power. They just have all the communication power. Right. I mean, the government, government is pretty divided. And so, you know, they don't control the government. So you're saying during the Enlightenment time, it was a period where progressives took over and were shaping society for a couple hundred years. Right. Yeah. Well, basically, they were competing. Right. But because, they but they had the because in eighteen fifty is where the first socialists got going, and there were socialist political parties. Marx wrote his stuff about communism, so there were first communists, and so they they um, wanted to change society into communist societies. So that's the progressive side, socialist side. And the conservatives were the opposite side, resistant to it. So do you see a balance where when, when one, one tries to take over the other, you almost have a, a counter a counterbalance or a counteraction? Um, so, for instance, when you look at the movement right now, you see like you talk about social media is, is pretty much run by uh, uh, progressives. Do you, within your books and your research and your findings, do you see the conservatives you know, maybe finally standing up for once and saying, Hey, like you've kind of pushed the envelope too far. Cause I'm not necessarily against progressives at all. I mean, I'm for everyone. I love everyone, but I feel like right now they're trying to take it a little too far. So do you see a balance coming or do you think that within your books, you, you, they could keep pushing it even further and have, well, that's why I told you the title of my fourth book, which is without moral balance, the Republic will fall. Meaning 
we have to figure out a way to get back in more balance. Now, one thing that has to be stated that's very important is we talked about the genetic origin of progressivism and, and conservatism, right? Well, they're basically 30% progressives and 30% conservatives at 60, and the other 40 are sort of in the middle, okay? Well, those 30% of conservatives aren't going anywhere. They're not going to be like converted into progressives. They're going to stay conservative. So they're always get there. There's a large number of conservatives fighting back against what the progressives are trying to do. I mean, you say that, and I don't necessarily. You really didn't see any any type of pushback from a social media aspect or from a, a profitability aspect until Bud Light had their controversy over Dylan Mulvaney putting. Well, a, a transgender person onto a beer can, and then you you see a thirty percent de- decrease in sales. In my opinion, that's the first pushback from conservative from conservatives because they feel like something was being pushed upon society. You know what I'm saying? That, yeah. So, well, but I didn't answer your question. Well, first of all, the conservatives are not as um, motivated as progressives to make change because they're status quo people. So it really takes stuff to stir them up, like the Bud Light thing. But the first great example of uh, conservatives fighting back is the Equal Rights Amendment. And I don't know if you've read anything about that. That was uh, passed by the government in 1972, and they wanted to make it an amendment. But the conservatives felt back and was never passed as an amendment. And the reason for that is because Basically, that law said that men and women are equal in everything, and there should never be any difference between what they're allowed to do, basically. But there's a lot of pushback from women who said, I don't want to fight in combat. And so, because if you make them exactly equal, then women are fighting in combat. So there were a whole bunch of things there that a lot of conservative women felt like was impinging on their rights. So they fought against it successfully. Um, no, I didn't know that, that that wasn't an amendment. So they they, so what kind of happened? I'm sorry. Well, the amendment never passed. So not, nothing really happened of it. I mean, they nothing gave women happened. they gave women rights, but they didn't make it equal rights. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Okay. But here here's another very practical example from from recently. Um, you've I'm undoubtedly heard about the controversy about. Uh, teaching critical race theory in grade school. Yes. Okay. That's something the progressives snuck into the curriculum without the public knowing it. For sure. Yeah, definitely at first. So, yeah. So there's a tremendous pushback from that. School boards in certain uh, school districts, like counties and stuff, are be- everybody's being recalled or losing elections and more conservative people are being put in there's a huge thing about that oh yeah and 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 the whole like the drag queen thing same deal um i you know conservatives don't it's not that conservatives have anything against drag queens and some do but the majority don't what they don't want is sexual preferences or lifestyles or whatever presented to little kids but that's the thing. And the though, same, and they don't want bias, you know, uh, heterosexuality. They don't want strippers to go in the third grade and talk about what a stripper is. So it's nothing to do with the drag queens. It has to do with sexuality. Yeah. And the the parents' choice over what their kid learns about sex. Very simple. Very simple. But you know, the left would have you believe that those types of things aren't aren't being taught to kids at school. But whenever you kind of peel back the layers and you, and you see the lies behind that it's in left cities where they allow these types of things to happen and they are occurring and kids are learning about these things. There's been parents at PTA meetings where they literally take a book that they found in the library that their kid, the school, the kid, the school that the kid goes to and they're reading this book and it's the most sexualized book. You could not the most sexualized, but it's an extremely sexualized book where there's essentially pornography in these books for seventh graders. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I, I don't, I don't know, Mike, well, and, and see, here's there's an even more basic issue, which is is I don't know, more fundamental than the two small examples I gave you, and sure. that is 
do the do the teachers own the children or do the parents do? That's a you know hellaciously big controversy now because you know you know the school boards and principals and boards of education have made comments about we know more about kids education than the parents so we're going to determine what a kid learns and that has caused hellacious backlash because to tell a parent that they shouldn't have control over what their kid learns is not right you're the parent you had that child you're raising that child and i think that's why you see a big push in homeschooling because if the public education system can't be held accountable then that then parents who have issues with these types of things have to pull their kids out of school so that their kids aren't being taught that yeah and and parents don't care uh how chemistry is taught or math or physics or something or something right they care about how cultural issues are taught yeah because they think that you know they they live within their own culture and they want their children to be exposed to the same culture so and i'm for that and i I don't it's kind of a hard concept to do nowadays though because i feel like from when we were in school to when our kids are in school that you know 20 years ago culture has changed quite a bit i think uh I personally feel that, you know, if I'm going to send my kid to school, I'm going to trust that the school is teaching them things that are important. Uh, my primary thought would be that they just mostly needed, you know, well, our kids are both like six, you know, you know, learn fundamentals, reading, writing, you know, very simple stuff. I, I don't think that cultural issues, cultural issues should be really all that prevalent that young. I mean, at some point, I think, you know, history is important, things of that nature. But at the same time, I don't think that, you know, kind of goes with what you said earlier about 14-year-olds and being targeted on social media and stuff. You know, it's like there's a certain point where kids would be ready for for knowledge like that, and that's that's definitely not at, at that age. You'd hope that putting your trust in the school board, and they're all, like, typically elected officials, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you'd hope that the people have chosen good people. No, for sure. You know, to, to relay your values through through what they're teaching in the schools. Yeah, that's common sense, right? Yeah. That's essentially what you just described as common sense. Like common yeah. sense in school, like re- learn the fundamentals, learn how to be productive, not as necessarily as a worker, but as a thinker as well. Learn how to benefit your community um, going through school. And Mike, I don't know, man, you kind of put a, like a, a you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. You put something into my mind. It's like, I'm not saying cultural issues shouldn't be taught in school, but almost it's, it's, that's a fine line, man. It truly is. It's like, when do you present these types of topics from a non-biased perspective from a teacher who has obviously a bias, you know, as, because we all have them. So how do how do you even go about teaching cultural issues if there's a biasness there in the first place? And who decides whether it's a conservative bias or whether it's a progressive bias? Well, I mean, what what's an example? I mean, sexuality is a very special case because I mean that's different than teaching about slavery, for example. Um, I think books should indicate talk about slavery, and it was bad. Um, the problem is, like with critical race theory, is the people that were slave owners. I mean, we're all we're all painted as evil because of what they did, right? So uh, the country is illegitimate because we had slaves at one time. I, you know, th- that's carrying it too far. I mean, to me, the right attitude is. Uh, we did bad things and we fixed them. Exactly. And we're not there anymore. Right. I mean, like, like homosexuality. When I was a kid, homosexuality was ridiculed and people said, well, there's something wrong with those people and they're dangerous. And I don't want a homosexual teacher because they might turn my kids into one. Well, homosexuality came out in the open. People realized they were just regular people and now it's okay. I mean, there's a few small percentage of goofy people are are 
misinformed or lacking intelligence or something that, you know, beat up gays or whatever. But mo most people, I would say most conservatives would say, it's do your thing, man. I don't care. Yep. Just don't do it in my face. That's all. Yeah. They, they understand that people are different. So, but I mean, that's an example. Okay. It was bad that, that there was bigotry against homosexuals, but it's gone. So let's celebrate the fact that we recognize something as bad and got rid of it. Not like we keep rehashing. Oh, well, the country constitution was written by men who had, were slave owners. Therefore, the Constitution is illegitimate because they were slave owners or something. Or was our country's based on slavery, which is baloney. It wasn't. So, you know, get the correct. I have no problem with giving both sides. Just don't slant it toward one side or the other. Right. And then we've gotten to that point, like you discussed, where you have one side that that is able to communicate to so many people and you see the blatant lies on major news corporations and they still have viewers, you know, the, their viewership is going down and they are tanking and you see a turn in so or in alternative media. And maybe that's the shit that I'm talking about. Maybe more people are waking up to the fact that these people don't have your best interests, that they are trying to shape society into a way that they want it to be. And I just, I think that it slowly is, turning into alternative media's favor. But here's the here's the kicker, though. They're not going to like that. They're not going to just bend over backwards and allow it to happen. They're going to come in with their almighty force. Again, what was it, a couple months ago, they tried to ban TikTok. Well, they just did in uh, Montana. Yeah, they just did in Montana. As, well, as a... see, I, I'm on that page, though, Paul, because the, the thing that scares me about TikTok, I mean, it, it's owned by the Communist Party. And there was that thing two years ago where they were trying to separated out from Chinese ownership and have it be an American company. Right. And have it operate over here because then we could put controls on it that, that keep the communist party from getting all the information out of all our TikTok users. But that fell through. What kind of phone do you have? For Mike? some reason, Congress didn't do anything about it. What kind of phone, that. what kind of phone do you have? I have a Android. Where is it made? It's a Google Pixel. So it's probably made. I mean, the iPhones are all made in China. Most of these phones are made in China. It's right. not. A, it's not about TikTok, man. If they wanted to, to hack into our phones, they, they they make those phones in China. You know what I'm saying? Well, there's or, plenty of other places they could get your information. That's yeah. what. That's I mean, what I'm saying. It's not. It's it's. And even the TikTok ban, like I mean, there was. I think it was. Um, Ron Paul or Rand Paul was the only senator who stepped up and said, "Man, this is just a reach on on freedom." Because it wasn't really even about TikTok. It was just about foreign adversaries. And it gave the pre well, it gave the president control to basically ban anything that was that was uh communicated with a foreign adversary. Like that's just what scared me. Well, and I don't I think the states are banning it because of the influencing young kids thing. Then they Not gotta, because of the Communist Party. Then they got to ban, because, like we talked about, Facebook, YouTube. They got to ban all social media apps. And and then at that point, where does it end for these politicians if they have that type of power? Like, why do they get to control what it is we consume? You go back to earlier, like the schools and with parents, and you talk about parents having a say in what it is that their kids do. or they sh It shouldn't be up to the schools what their kids learn. Basically, what I'm saying is it's the same situation. Like, if you don't want your kid on TikTok and you don't want your kid to be feeling or get exposed to those types of things, be involved more in your kid's life. And granted, I'm not there yet because my kids are so young. And, and me growing up, I didn't really get exposed to, to social media until I was a sophomore in high school. So I was on the very beginning stages of Facebook. You know what I'm saying? Uh, granted, there was things before that, MySpace and... and um, Zanga was another one. Zanga, yeah. A few others. But those were just like you would type in how you feel and people would comment on it. So I guess that yeah. you, you had it a little bit there. But pe just parents need to be more involved, man. I know it's easier said than done. But when you give politicians those types of, of powers, that's where it gets scary to me. Well, let me um, clarify something for you in case you don't know this, and it's very important. Um, and when you think about it, this is stunning to think about before um social media the things the information we received and consumed was always controlled i mean controlled by 
journalism. I mean, the nightly news was the news stories are supposed to be written by journalists, checked by their editor to make sure there's are accurate, and then you put it on the on the airwaves. Same with newspapers. Okay. And then the and so if you want if you wanted to say something crazy 20 years ago, the only way you could talk is you'd have a soapbox in a park and talk crazy. And you're not going to get much exposure, right? So the amount of craziness was limited. All right. So when the uh, social media companies started going, there was a uh, law in 1994 called the Fairness and Communications Act. The Smith Munt, I believe. Huh? The Smith Munt Act. I think that. Never mind. Go ahead. Sorry. I I don't know. It's Ferris and Communications, but they wrote uh, because social media was getting started. Then they wrote a provision into it called Section Two Thirty, which is talked about all the time now. And Section Two Thirty says if you are a platform that uh, broadcasts information provided by others, you're not liable for what those people say. Because if they didn't have that provision in, just think what could happen to all the social media, Facebook, whatever. I wouldn't be doing tell, I wouldn't be doing I, this I, right I, now. I put on Facebook, I'm gonna kill somebody. All right, they're they're sued. Those companies would all be sued out of business without the section two thirty. Okay. But, but even then if you if you if let's say te- section two thirty didn't exist, then who is policing that? You well, that's people... the problem because everybody was naive when they passed Section 230 and didn't think about the fact that as the social media uh, companies start getting big, you get bad actors joining. You get people who are crazy. You get people who are trying to recruit terrorists. You get people with wacky ideas. You get people with political agendas, and they're all talking on there. So now you can be a crazy and have a Facebook account and express your craziness. And if you're kind of neat and cool, some people may start following you because they like that crazy. So it's not a good thing. And and Congress is trying to put some of it back in the bottle, but it's very hard to do because you can't. And of course you probably know all this stuff about Facebook and Twitter and all, they have these very elaborate control groups with like thousands of people reading all the messages and 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 some of it's um you know artificial intelligence driven but they read they have to read every post to make sure they can't they don't have to censor it because if you just let everything go through it's a disaster i feel like so it's a very complicated thing how to let people speak freely on social media yet keep the crazies out doesn't change the fact that that crazy person still would would exist. And granted, granted, maybe yeah, they, they don't would. have a platform. That's the problem. There's, but even in those times, the, the platform, let's say, for instance, the, the newspaper has been around for, what, a couple hundred years. Yeah. So their platform in, in those times or even before television or in even before radio, like their platform would be, hey, I'm going to do this and they're going to put it in the newspaper. You know what I'm saying? Like those types of things have always existed and in, 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 I don't even without social media, I think that those people still exist and are still going to be crazy and still do what it is that drives them to be a criminal. Like they're still just going to do the, it. The newspaper is not going to put if they're going to write an article about anarchy or something about we should take down the government or whatever that didn't make it into the newspaper it got censored. But does, it doesn't change the fact that they could find through mail or they could find it through well, they a ma- could have their a ma- own magazine exactly you can make a communist magazine right. you're right and write anything you want in it by being a communist. it would be it would be tougher and more time consuming you're right but if you have a passion and you're really passionate about something you're going to make it happen and that's why before the internet or before i mean before the internet specifically you had acts of terrorism you had world war you had famine and death and and just death and i would actually venture out to say since since the onslaught of of the internet there's probably been and i could be completely wrong in this this is just me just saying something out of my ass that there's been less death since the on the onslaught of the internet than before when you go back to world war one and world war two and uganda and just the amount of death and in rome and 
just millions and millions of people have died. So maybe, I, I don't know, does that make any sense at all? Well, I mean, I think what you're pointing to, no matter what the sensibility of the statement is, is the the internet and social media have done a lot of positive things. Yeah. Like alerting people to a problem or uh, alerting, you know, getting people to go to the doctor and have their heart checked out. I mean, it's a trivial little example, but it's getting the word out on things that people should know uh, to protect themselves. So that that's all good stuff. But um, so it, it's unfortunately a lot of, of both and with no way to really control it. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, the other thing that disturbs me and this is, I think this is the worst thing of all is the way that people, you know, these, well, TikTok is great at this. These people develop their persona and become attractive to other people. So then they become influencers. So they're paid millions of dollars to like, well, you name it, you know, like put on makeup or something. And they have these followers and then they're paid all this money because they're really an advertising magnet. Yeah. But, then you got you know crazy stuff like um, there's people on YouTube that eat food and people millions of people watch that. I mean it, it, it's it's the fact that it dumbs us down. It dumbs us down. Yeah, yeah. And I mean you're creating personas just for the purpose of mass marketing. Yep. And no other value. I guess. Yeah, there's no value to society for sure. It's yeah. it's almost yeah. like an empty space. I completely agree. But again, you talk about it, you're always going to have the good and bad with it. So it's like it's something that we have to face and we're facing it obviously right now. But I feel like it's probably a little more if there was a spectrum or if there was a, a pendulum, it, it's probably more on the negative side honestly with what the the internet has done. And that's what, You and Paul, you implied that the media is left-leaning and i'm curious you know i have data that it is and all that stuff but what what do you see every day that tells you that versus being conservative that the media is more liberal than conservative what is your what do you see why do you say that i mean i think it's obvious i mean you get on you wake up tomorrow and you get your cup of coffee and you're like hey i want to watch something i want to watch some news today and it started for me when we lived at the, uh, your dad's 404 Sage. And, um, you know, I used to watch CNN at that time. I knew I, I didn't look at Anderson Cooper as a villain or whoever else or Jake Tapper or whoever else was on the show at those times. Like, I thought that, the, hey, this is just where I'm supposed to go and consume news and just find out yeah. what's going on in the world. So I was probably like 22, 23 or 25. Let's, I think 25. And then I just started. That's when I kind of started developing my, I guess, my political side or whatever that yeah. means. Um, and it's just like you, if it's CNN, it's MSNBC, it's everything but Fox, honestly. It's clearly, right. Mike, it's clearly left-leaning whenever you get onto those shows. Yeah. And that's when I realized, I was like, man, like this, and I'm, I don't even watch Fox News. I don't watch any of it. You know, I, I liked um, Tucker Carlson. I thought he was decent. Um, but if you turn on any other news agency, I mean, do you get that, Blake? I mean, I don't know if you watch any of those. I don't those. watch the news at all, actually. Yeah. But did you ever see a bias in, in whether it was right or left leaning at all? If you did, I mean, yeah, you, you, I mean, it, you would see it, yeah. And you could see it and and feel it as you're watching it. Well, they all have a narrative, yeah. I yeah. Mean, so it's whatever they wanted. Yeah, I, I quit watching. I quit watching Fox because it's too much of the same thing. I mean, even if I'm conservative, and Fox is conservative. It's their way at the end. They're too extreme. And they're very biased too. Yeah. I don't want to watch biased stuff. I don't care right. what it is. I want to find out the truth. Same. So I just I mean, want to hear some good news. That's why I don't watch the news. It's never anything good. It's exactly. Yeah, I wanted to hear, you know, little little Tanya found her, her dog that ran away. That'd be good news. Something I'd want to hear, but it's always just bad news. So I just don't waste my time with bad news. No, that's a good strategy. The only news news well. I put the news on every morning on TV to watch the weather forecast. That's it. So <laughs> at, at quarter after the hour, I put it on and I turn it back off because morning news particularly runs by a script. And I don't know if you notice, 
but they have like five kind of stories. They have all the shootings and killings and car accidents to start with. And then they, they put in like, they have a human interest story where somebody saved somebody else's life. I mean, it's scripted every day. Yeah. So all you have to do is find the news that fits the script <laughs> and you read it. It's, it's the same thing. Yeah. And they all have the same story. I'm sure you've seen that viral yeah. video. Um, and it, it shows like a hundred, a like, hundred yeah. different news stations and they're all literally reading the same thing. And they're from, have you seen that clip, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, that that's, and I think seeing that, and I saw that a long time ago, um, that's kind of, you know, also opened up my eyes to it. I'm like, dude, there's no way I'm watching this, man. There's just, there's just no way. And I think that's why you see a rise in, in again, um, alternative media, because you do get a lot more of, and for me, I struggle with alternative media with how are they getting the information as well. Yep. And how can we know if it's accurate or if it's, you know, these are just their opinions and in, in, on what's going on. How do they really know what's going on in Ukraine? Like we were, I know we were supposed to get into Ukraine. We got a little bit of time if you want. It's like, how do they really know what's going on? Um, but then again, it's like you see that these major news corporations are all for it. And then you see that Trump town hall and you see that lady attacking Trump. She's like, oh, you want to see Ukraine lose and you want to see Russia win. And he didn't, you know, he didn't really bow down to that. He's just like, we're just paying a lot of money and no one else is forking out a lot of money. Yeah. He's like, we need, we need to see Europe start spending some more money. We're at 170 billion. They're at 20 billion. He's like, why are, why is the United, why are the United, you know? So I guess you can kind of get a sense of what's going on in the war just by watching these left-leaning news stations and then just think the opposite. I don't know. Well, a very large percentage of the American public is concerned about finding the truth because you don't know what to believe and not to believe. And I think the generations may be your, are you a millennial? You are, aren't you? 89. 89? Yeah. Okay, that's a millennial because 84. Five to ninety-six is the millennials. So, um, so you you didn't grow up with, you know, in, in when I was a kid, then Walter Cronkite read the news and you trusted him, but he was also reporting fair news that was unbiased. So everything became political and biased, and so you don't know what what the truth is. Now I feel fortunate, both because of my age and my background. I do research to write my books and the research has to involve finding the truth, right? So I have to read things that one, on one side and on the other, because I can't just take the first thing I read and say it's true. So I'm used to it, used to doing it. And you have to find news sources that you trust are truthful and stick with them. And they're not the, you know, the, traditional media and they're not social media either so it's hard and that's something you think that there would be more of like a like a government influence you know where they would where they at some point kind of step in right and say hey you know we need you guys to if you're going to report the news we have no issue with you reporting the news but we just want to make sure it's factual uh you know kind of like when you're in school and you write an essay and you have to like show your sources uh you think that there'd be some sort of a standard and there was, I think it was, I, I, and I, I, I've said this before in the podcast, and I should, I need to look it up, but I, there was something back in like the 30s or 40s. It was called the Smith Munt M U N D T Act, where the the uh, journalism or the major news networks weren't allowed to perpetuate propaganda to the people. And if I'm mistaken, yeah. I could be mistaken, but I believe in somewhere in the early 2000s or 2012, 2012. They did something to the Smith-Munt Act to where now major news corporations can perpetuate propaganda. I believe. I believe that's kind of how I've understood it. So there goes your the government not stepping in and saying, hey, you need to report the real shit. Well, the problem with that statement, and I mean, I understand and agree with the statement, is that the problem with it is that parties are corrupt too. Yeah. So they don't really, they would rather each of them, if you ask them, would rather have all the news biased toward their party. And since both parties are funded by basically the same organizations, rich people, um, the elite class, that it's like the there's no difference between the parties now. There's little little differences and there's philosophical differences and stuff, but it when it comes to 
coming together for the good of the country. It ain't there. So that's where I get also confused, and I don't like getting wrapped up in, in, in voting for a specific president, but specifically Trump. And again, there are multiple things I don't like about Trump. But when you watch some of the de- debates he had with uh, in the preliminaries and whenever him and Hillary had debates, and this was the year he won, obviously, but he called out those people. You know, there was specifically a town hall where people started booing him, and he's like, you're all donors. You're all donors. Yeah, And he's like, I know that because they told me before I was coming in that the, all the donors are going to be watching this debate. And they're booing him because, and, and that's where I get confused. I'm like, is Trump the real deal? Because he's calling out all these people with money. And he's well, saying- he's more the real deal than the other, any of the others because he doesn't take political contributions. Exactly. He is not beholden to anybody, and that's his greatest strength. Right. His greatest weakness is his personality. He's a jerk. I mean, I'm over that, though. I'm over that. Granted, the, the, yeah. I, I'm not, I don't want to turn it into a Trump thing, but... I'd like to see somebody in office that was a little bit more relevant to our age, I guess. That'd be... It's scary that we might have Trump and Biden running together because most of the country doesn't want either one to be president. Right. And we shouldn't and be... so pe- people want a better system. And... We might be stuck with one or the other. Well, we will be stuck with one or the other of them for four more years before they all pass away. Because there are, I mean, (laughs) and there's so many old people in Congress that shouldn't be there. No, I completely agree. But and again, but you look at Trump and and people are, and that's what everyone says. It's his personality and people don't like that he tweets and what he tweets. But we all have thoughts and feelings and we all have feelings that we have inside of our mind things that we probably wouldn't say out loud because we're like, Hey, that's pretty personal, per- personal, or I thought this and I shouldn't have thought that. So I'll never think it again. But Trump, he doesn't have a filter and he lets those things out. And he actually says those things, but everyone has had those thoughts or feelings that Trump has let out loud. Yeah, but that's a problem. There's no decorum. I mean, he, everybody has those feelings. I agree. And he lets them out because he has no filter, but there, there's a limit I mean, he's just a very rude person. And I mean, that works great in business. Yeah. Because I've known businessmen just like them. They're sort of but what was pushy the, and rude and mean. What was and the, that's how they negotiate with you. What was the economy well, like? If you don't like my deal, I'm leaving. What was the economy? It worked. But in the, in the presidency, I think it's too much. But what was the economy like post-COVID? What were house interest rates at? What were people's 401ks at? What were people's... What was the cost of living at? Well, you know what I'm saying? What was the price per gallon when it came to milk or egg would, or cheese? We don't know what it would have been under Trump. And we, right. never, and we never will know. But if he comes into office, let's say he does win, and I agree, I don't want these two as our options, but let's just say he does win by chance. And he comes in and he, do, and he does the things that he says he's going to do. One, legitimately drain the swamp this time. He says he's for the, it's the real deal. I mean, he's, it's, it's going to happen this time. To the the war in Ukraine ends in less than twenty four hours. Let's say that that happens as well. So the the well, I guess he'd have to end the war in Ukraine first. Then he drains the swamp, and then let's say he gets the economy back to what it was post COVID. If he does those three things, what do you think of Trump at that point in time? I would think it'd be great, but I don't think he can. You don't think so, he can? Well, I don't think anybody can drain the swamp. It's corrupted. Yeah. Look at the FBI. How the FBI and CIA are working. They worked with the Biden administration to suppress the Hunter Biden story. Right. So they're the FBI and CIA are politicized. So they're working for whoever their favorite happens to be. Yeah. I don't know. That's always the president. But when well, Trump got in, they were against Trump. And then when Trump left, they were still against Trump. Yeah. So I mean, that's because it had ratings. But Blake, when you talk about you want some someone more prevalent in our age. Like when you say that, what type of age range are you kind of looking at? If you wanted someone to lead the country of the free world. Ideally somebody in there, like, I don't know, like forties, like, like forties or fifties. Yeah. Not somebody that's like 70. I would I venture mean, out maybe closer to 50 because man, I'm 30, yeah. I'm 34. So ne- next election I could uh, essentially, I could run for president. You know what I'm saying? I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready. I don't think I've had enough. You as an individual. No, I know, but even I just don't think anyone at the age of 35. I think that's the age, right? To to qualify for president is 35. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone at that age has had enough time to understand that the the whole 
spectrum of what is Western civilization and what it means to lead the greatest country in the world. I think that's way too young. I'm sure there's a 0.0001% of 35-year-olds that could fit that mold, that could actually run because they're extremely intelligent, but I still don't think that they're completely ready. I think more towards 50. I think that that would be a good age. But I agree. I agree. And I think there shouldn't be in Congress anybody over 70. Yeah. I think that's crazy to yeah. have people that old. 100%. They just keep coming back, and they don't do anything. And you need fresh-thinking young people who want to make change. Yeah, Bernie's so, Bernie's gotta go, man. Who knows the direction that the you know the country is going? I mean, any changes they make now at seventy five when they die in six years, I mean, doesn't affect will them. impact. Yeah, exactly. It should be even sixty. I mean, I you know I think at some age you'd really just gotta hand the reins over. I mean, otherwise, but, otherwise the people below you, you know, they there won't be that opportunity until they're too old and not with the times, I guess. But I feel like, Mike, you, you stay up with the times and you're writing books and you're keeping up with culture. And, it, and how old are you? I'm sorry. If, 74. Yeah, like he's 74 and you're still rocking and rolling, dude. Like you're still going with what's going on today. You're completely involved with everything. And you have wisdom, man. For whatever your wisdom is and whatever it's worth, you have it. And it's a, right. and it's a lot of it. So I, I don't know where you put the age gap, you know. Um, in my... Before Biden got elected, I would have never conceived that America would elect a, a senile president, which he is. <laughs> I mean, in every other case where somebody ran for president, there was significant checking on their health. And that's just an example of the tribalism and the polarity in our country that that's called corruption, man. That's not, it is nothing yeah, less. He got him, he got himself nominated because he could look like he was a moderate. And then he signs a pact of the devil with the left. So then he, when he gets elected, he doesn't act like himself. Right. You know, for 40 years, he's been sort of in the middle, a traditional Democrat. Now he's way out there. So, well, and, and times change and people change, but th there's literally been, lead doctors that have allegedly given him a physical and said he is fit to be president. Those people should lose their job, man. Yeah. <laughs> They're just hands down. It's, well, you can't, you can't talk. You can't operate. You can't talk without a teleprompter or notes. You can't even read his notes. Yeah. It's bad. So, it's bad. Mike, I'm not going to wait another year to have you on, man. I'll tell you that. It's okay. It's been a fun packed hour, dude. I, 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 we got a little bit of time left. I don't know if there's anything left you know, that you wanted to say, or we didn't kind of get a chance to talk about. Well, were there specific, uh, short pieces of, that you, that might fit TikTok that we haven't talked about. I mean, we talked about the genetics thing and all that, but yeah. I don't know what, what you, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm able to, I'm able to edit and stuff like that to get a, a clear picture. I mean, it can be up to a minute to two minute video, but it has to be really good. Um, I never want to fit my podcast towards towards TikTok. I just say yeah. that before every podcast, just to kind of put it in your head uh, or in the guest head. Um, so that that's just Are you really, getting compensated by TikTok. I am, yeah. It's not much, Good. huh? It's I I am, but it, it's not much. Okay, I'm up. To, I'm, I, think, I mean, you keep growing, and it will be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you have to if you hit fifty million views, it's only six hundred dollars. Oh, yeah. So you have to have a big following. 50 million over what time period? A just month? just for one video. Oh. So whenever you hit that six, 50 million, that's $600. See, to me, that means you you got to act crazy because you got to have some shtick or something like that that, it, it, that goes viral. Like, you know, not I jumped out of an airplane with no parachute. Not necessarily. Okay, 50 million. Not necessarily. I mean, you look at, like, if Joe Rogan were to go on to TikTok, he would consistently average a million videos per day. I mean, multiple millions of videos per day. Yeah. And then you times that by a year like that. I mean, it, it would be profitable. I mean, I don't, I mean, you're right. It, there is a little bit of that as well, but. But that's good to hear you're doing better than, than on YouTube, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. YouTube only. Your YouTube group is still not that large. 960, man. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was 185 the first time I was on yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Four, four or five years ago. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> Homegrown boy. That's right. 
Well, let's do another thing in three months. I'm down. We yeah. Left a, we left a lot out. Yeah. No, we, we talked to, I mean, we don't even have to do every three months, man. We can do every two months or just whenever you have time, I'll hit you up. And I know we had talked about doing that last time, but let's for real make it happen this time. That's more on my side. So I'll, I'll hit you up soon, man. Very soon. Yep. Okay. Um, where can we find you? Where can we find your books? Do you still have your blog post going on? And did you start a podcast? I think. Well, Mike Anderson's books.com is where that's my author site. So my books are there. My blog is there and you can buy my books by going there. And I have our book reviews there too. So the three books are all there and the fourth book will be out this year. Okay. I think I have two of the books. I can't, I might have all three. I need to double check. I think you have, you should have three. Yeah. Conservative gene. Yep. I have the conservative gene, the progressive gene, and then tribalism. Yeah. I should have all three. That's then the second one. If not, then I'm going to get whichever one I don't, and then I'm going to get that fourth one when it comes out. But, Mike, thank you for your time, man. It's been a pleasure okay. talking to you. I'm glad you're an OG here at Talk Junkies, man. I wish the best for you, and I look forward to talking to you soon, brother. Okay, great. Take care. Cheers, See Mike. See you later. Cheers. Yeah, bye. And with that, we conclude this week's episode of Talk